0: Hello, friend, and welcome to the U Turn podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a career expert, a speaker, and a best selling author of the book U Turn Get Unstuck, Discover Your Direction, and Design Your Dream Career. I wrote the U Turn book and created this podcast to help you reconnect to who you truly are at your core. And that's why every single week I bring you a guest on with the intention of helping you upgrade your confidence in work and in love. I'm also so excited to say that this episode has been sponsored in part by our friends over at Soul CBD. This is the only CBD company I have come to really trust with my wellness. They have 0 THC, meaning you can't get high from their products. They're organically farmed and they're gluten-free. I love sleep, and when I don't get it, I feel like my entire day, my entire week, my entire life is thrown off. And during these times of stress, I started taking Soul CBD's Sleepy Gummy before bed, and I swear by them. Most nights, all I need is a half of a gummy, and these little babes have put my sleepless nights behind me. With one delicious fruity bite, their unique blend of CBD, CBN, and terpenes helps you fall asleep faster, stay asleep longer, and improve your overall quality of sleep. I always wake up refreshed. It's my New bedtime besties. So our friends over at Soul I contacted them and I got a discount code for 15% off your order. Just head on over to AshleyStahl.com slash soul. That's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L.com slash S O U L to access our special page with them and don't forget to use the code U-turn at checkout. That's Y-O-U-C-C. T-U-R-N. Now let's get into this week's episode. You turn friends. Okay. So you know that I have all sorts of different humans on the show and I get really hyped when I get one of my girls on the show because I am so proud of the friends that I have and the brains that they have and the way that they impact me. And one person who has made such an impact on me and is about to make such a huge impact on the world, if not so much so already, is my girl, Iman Ubu, like FUBU. (laughs) And she is a Moroccan American award-winning entrepreneur, former beauty queen, literally Miss New York. And thanks to her, she's introduced me to her friends who are all former Miss New York. So it's just a bunch of Miss New Yorks and me out at the club in New York and me thinking I need to get to the gym and leave immediately. (laughs) Thank God for my self-esteem. But (laughs) She's which little... we'll talk about in this talk. Yeah. <laughs> yes, which we'll talk about. And she's a published scientist and she's on a mission to change the women's media landscape. Um, she has diverse experience in business, in pageantry, and even in STEM, just in the sciences. And she noticed, of course, the, the obvious gender disparities in the workforce. I noticed them like crazy when I was in counterterrorism. It was just kind of a sausage fest, which is totally fine, but not my my preference for the workforce as a whole. And um, she really has examined the bias uh, across print and digital media. And she created Sway, two A's, uh, Sway Media, which is an all-in-one publishing platform for women. So um, she's championing voices of female change makers through their storytelling over at Sway, S-W-A-A-Y.com. Today, we are going to talk about her brand new book that you've got to get a copy of. She has so much talent and story to share. It's called The Glass Ledge. I know that we hear a lot about glass ceilings. And um, her book, this concept is so cool, um, not just being about glass ceilings, but the glass ledge, how to break through self-sabotage, embrace your power, and create your success. So today we're going to talk about what does it really mean to break through to your next level, discover yourself, and own your self-esteem, um, just like she has in so many ways. Okay, I'm done talking. Hi, you're here. Thank you for coming. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm
1: so excited to finally do this. It's always a pleasure to be interviewed by one of my favorite women in the whole wide world so I'm so happy to be here if I don't
0: say so myself <laughs> <laughs> true story everyone we went out to celebrate Iman just got engaged and when she went to the bathroom really briefly to wash her hair <laughs> I had one drink and ate her entire celebration cake that I ordered for her to celebrate her own engagement yeah. so true story Just so what a mess hot mess express and you're just <laughs> like this beauty queen with all the magic um okay so Tell me a little bit about why you wanted to write this book and how long the book was on your mind. Yeah. um,
1: Well, I think, so the book was uh, four years in the making, obviously like many people I've always wanted to write a book, right. But again, I never had a specific plan or a timeline for that. I kind of just in a way manifested it um, almost around the right time or the wrong time, depending on, you know, when I look at it, but in 2018, um, I I thought I hit rock bottom um, because I, at the time, my company kind of lost a major investment that was going to change the game for us and take us to the next level. And it was an overnight, you know, rug pull from me. So one day I'm, I announced to the team, yes, we finally got the investment I've been following for so long. The investors agreed to come in and now we let's build a team. Let's do this together. And then the next day, on my way to the office, I get an email from the same investors saying that their committee did not want to move forward anymore for different reasons, and yada yada yada. And then, like next thing you know, I'm laying off the entire team. I just, you know, had to break my lease in the office, pack my ba- my stuff in a trash bag, and like drag it across WeWork to the elevator. So it was an overnight kind of a uh, shock for me. To- and my life was basically flipped upside down because I was forced to pri- reprioritize my strategy for recovering from this devastating fall. So um, here I was officially hitting rock bottom. I was in a lot of deck that broke, unemployed, battling severe anxiety disorder. Um, and despite having, you know, multiple other career paths I could potentially pursue, I really couldn't move on from this. I couldn't kind of just get up and give up on my company and everything that I built and the life that inspires me most importantly. So I dove deeper into this state of reflection. Um, And my initial instinct was to blame society, to blame sexism, to blame all the stuff that I went through as a young woman trying to raise money and make it happen and, and make my company a success. You know, there's a lot of external barriers and a million hoops I had to jump through every time. So my initial instinct was, oh, I failed because of all of that. But then as kind of I moved on a little bit more from it, I realized that in order for me to rebuild this company, I have to rebuild myself first, because at that time, I kind of realized that my voices in my head was so toxic. Um, Everything that I was telling myself was an internalization of this uh, external oppression that I kind of had gone through. And I started seeing myself in a very flawed way. I just lost belief in my capabilities. I thought I was incompetent. Basically everything that I was told during my rejections, I internalized and made my own truth. And I realized that that's very self sabotaging behavior and thoughts. And that's not really what's going to help me be a success. So at that time, there was an article that came out about me on forums and how rejection sometimes could be the beginning of a, a bigger vision for your business and a bold vision. And so a book agent read my uh, an article about me on forums, and then she reached out to me kind of talking about how there's a potential book here. Um, at the time, I was too depressed to even think about it. I'm like, why would people want to listen to me? I'm literally at rock bottom right now. I don't even have anything figured out. I failed. I failed my team. I failed myself. I failed my, my community. Why would I ever want to write a book about this? So I told her, let's put a pin on it. I really have a lot of self-work to do. I have to transform myself from the inside out before I even feel good about potentially giving advice to other women who might be in a situation like this. And that's exactly what I did. So two years later, 2020, I was finally in a better place. I have put in two years of work on changing everything I had learned, changing everything about. Um, my perspective of myself, myself, the poor self image I've been carrying all along. And at that point, I came back to my book agent and said, look, I've done all this work. And I think that along the way in my fight um, for women empowerment, I have started feeling disempowered. And I think there's a story here. And that's the story I want to tell is how that the most impactful glass ceilings that we Um, have to face are the ones we impose on ourselves subconsciously. And that's really what I wanted to talk about the most. Uh, Not prompting more women to shatter more glass ceilings, but rather realizing that the most important glass ceilings that we have to fight are the ones we impose on ourselves. And so that's kind of what I came up with the glass ledge as a metaphor. The glass ledge means or represents self-imposed glass ceilings that many of us put on ourselves without even realizing it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's kind of how the book story kind of started. And Mm -hmm. 2020, I got the book deal and worked
0: on it for two years. And here we are. Hey, U-Turners, this episode is sponsored in part by our friends over at Athletic Greens. And what I love the most about them is that their products are not only carbon neutral, but they taste amazing. I started taking Athletic Greens because I really wanted to get all the nutrients and vitamins possible in one swoop. And I just couldn't bring myself to drink all those green vegetable smoothies that tastes like the grass. So I wanted something that actually tastes good and was perfect for me. And I've been on Athletic Greens for a few weeks now and I am just loving it. It doesn't taste like it's super healthy. You know, it has kind of a mild tropical taste that I actually look forward to every morning. And with one scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals whole food source superfoods probiotics and adaptogens to help you start your day right so this really special blend of ingredients is so supportive for your gut health your nervous system your immune system your energy recovery focus anti-aging all the things right now it is so time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition especially as we're in flu and cold season. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. I even throw mine in my smoothie. So to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash U-Turn. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And they're giving one year of vitamin D that is so insane with your first order. I'm so excited for you to check it out. Now let's get back to this week's episode. Here we are. And I know that the amount of self-esteem and work it takes to kind of come back from rock bottom. I also know you weren't born in the United States. Um so you've you've come from such a different and interesting background. Um what was it like for you even before this in the pageant world? Did you feel that pressure? Was it natural for you to be in it? Like what was your relationship? Because I know in the pageant world it's not just about beauty. There's a lot around your mind and you answering questions and you making a social impact and doing a lot of good. Um, but again, there's a lot of beauty there too, and how you look and how you present yourself. So what has, what has been key for you in keeping your head up high when you're in so many environments where there is a lot of pressure, because you talked about anxiety and depression. And I know that right now people have more anxiety than, and depression than ever. And, you know, you had a friend who committed suicide recently, and we're seeing the suicide rate jumping like we've never seen before, which we knew would happen um, Mm -hmm. in the wake of the pandemic. Um, What was your process with keeping yourself um, bouncing back from those rock bottom moments? Were there any exercises or moments that brought you back to yourself?
1: Yes, I think one of the biggest exercise that I have implemented for myself and even more so after the pandemic is to really understand Who I am outside of the work that I do, because I think for so long I've been so obsessed with what I do, and I define myself by what I do and my job, and my career, and my business, without taking in consideration who I am at the core. And so, one of the exercises I've started doing, and starting twenty eighteen, and even more twenty twenty, when the pandemic hit, because I think again all of us went through that moment of of despair and just uncertainty is. Who am I? What do I stand for? What are my values outside the money, outside the the, the validation on social media, outside the followers? None of that really means much if yeah. you don't know who you are at the core. And so at the very beginning, I I very much struggled with that question. It's a very simple question. It's, I write it down like, who am I? And mm-hmm. then I couldn't answer. I couldn't write anything because I'd be like, oh, I'm a founder. But I'm like, wait, that kind of is tied into my career. And I'm like, oh, I'm a former Miss New York. But I'm like, that's a title again that I acquired through external competitions and things like that. But what do I consider myself? And it's like really about less doing and more being. Um, how do I show up to this world? Um, what do I bring to the table? What is really my purpose outside of the validation and outside of the money making and the money chasing, outside of the hustle. And I think it's a very important for everyone listening to Constantly check in with yourself and have that conversation. What do I stand for? And then have a list of your values. Is it family? Um, You know, is it financial freedom? Is it world traveling? Is it philanthropy? Like what is really going to bring you the most joy at the end of the day? If you were sitting at your deathbed and looked, you know, backwards in your life did you really do things that were fulfilling to your soul? Not just to what people expect out of you, not to you know, what social media followers would say, not for the outside validation or the buzz or the press or the hype. Is it, is it fulfilling to your soul? You know, yeah. if, if no one were to find out about it, would you still be very happy with what you're doing?
0: Yeah, I love what you're saying. And it makes me think a lot. There's an episode on our show, episode 76 with Tatiana, about how to set yourself free. And she talks about, she comes from a shamanistic background. She almost married the guy who wrote four agreements, Don Miguel Ruiz. And, um, her mind, she was talking about how in a way we're kind of like Mr. Or Mrs. Potato Head, where we pull these different pieces and put them on us and we like these identities. So, like you could probably figure out my Mrs. Potato Head pretty quick, like rap music, cupcakes. Like you could just, if I I asked you, Iman, like, please, chocolate, ice cream. Yeah, yeah. And like your Mrs. Potato Head is a little more like healthy than mine, like gym visits, weightlifting, Mm -hmm. like other positive things. Point being though, that we have these personas that we kind of make up and these identities that keep us safe. Um, And what was powerful for me about her work was, really like taking a step back and saying to myself, what are the little pieces of my Mrs. Potato Head that I've put on? And I would ask anyone now, like, what are the little facets about you that you like, or that you identify with? Because you're making a good point, which is that we are so much more than those things. And it feels really slippery. It feels tempting to say like, no, we, we can create who we are in the world and we can play on the goal line. Um, and that's cool. We can do the more and more and more and the chasing and the goals. And, and there's really a science to it. You just follow the steps and you make it happen. Obviously Mm -hmm. you need to work on your self-esteem along the way. Then there's the soul line, which is much more about like, who do you become along the way? And it's interesting because, um, I just went to the Hoffman process, which I, I can't wait to see you in New York and talk to you about this trip of a week. Um, those of you who don't know Hoffman, our good friend, Ebony Williams went, Um, and it's a seven day process for healing. And what they basically do is they take a look at your patterns. They look at how your parents behave in the world and how you behave in the world. And there's a huge checklist. Once you get accepted in the process of like 10 pages of patterns, and you have to check ones for your mom, check ones for your dad, check ones for you. And what's interesting is that we form these patterns at a young age to cope with our surroundings. And we are so much more than our patterns. They're just ways that we learn to live. Like one thing they talk about is um, their big thing is called negative love syndrome. And their argument is that We learn to behave in a way that will get us loved by our parents. And a lot of that is different patterns that we emulate that they do. So for example, um, if you had a mom that like yelled and you learned to yell, it's kind of like, that's how you became a part of the family unit. There was a belonging to yelling. Um, And so I have all sorts of different patterns. Um, I get some from my mom. Like she is very forgetful and she's kind of like there, but not there. So she kind of checks out. I do that. And when I look at her upbringing, the reason she did that, she had a mom with severe depression. Um, Her parents were divorced and like her, her way of coping was to just not remember her life and kind of check out. And um, when I lost my business, that was very useful. I would just check out. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's like, we all develop these patterns at a young age that remove us from yeah. who we really are. And in a lot of ways, I think depression, like you're talking about, can just be suppression where we take on all these layers of behaving and these Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head pieces that aren't really us. And next thing we know, we're exhausted because we have to keep up this identity that maybe we're not. And so I love that you're kind of talking about like, who am I? Achievement, yeah, yeah. And the
1: sense of achievement, kind of, you would think that by getting the next thing, you're gonna fill a void that's there and you're gonna be happy when you accomplish this or when you become a millionaire or when you write a book or whatever it might be. But I learned along the way that these are just things you collect. And yes, they bring you kind of temporary joy because it's like, wow, I did this. But ultimately it's not, it's not the most fulfilling or purposeful thing that we think about. I I just feel like I've accomplished a lot in my life, especially before the age of 30. And now in my early thirties, I I continue to being that overachiever, but sometimes I stop and think back, like, is this achievement I'm trying to go after meaningful, or is it just another thing I want to add onto my resume? And, you know, we talked about my friend, Chesley, who, who unfortunately committed suicide, um, early this year. And she wrote an op-ed, I think, was it on Allure, um, or Harper's Bazaar, one of them. And she talked exactly about this and she was one of the most accomplished young women I've ever met in my life, you know, an, an accomplished attorney, a Miss USA, top 10, a Miss Universe. Um, She was an extra correspondent for Extra TV. She was interviewing the best celebrities out there. They all loved her. So you really, from the outside, you think she has had it all, but then here you are reading her op-ed saying how she still feels empty and that her sense of achievement is really driven by outside validation. And she's only doing all of that to add more lines in her resume, but deep down, she still feels empty. And I just had a heartache reading that because I sometimes behave that way. Yeah. And we don't know that we're doing it. It's all subconscious. And again, I think with the book, it's really about helping women, um, build that self-awareness to understand why they act the way you do or why they're triggered by certain events. And just like you talked about, a lot of this is, is related to things we have gone through as children and we didn't really, you know, process correctly. Um, and so that ends up kind of, you know, building our own behavior that we don't really know. But at the end of the day, I think, especially for women and just the past few years for me, I've, you know, been in the, at the forefront of the women's movement. I built kind of an inspiring feminist media brand and really was all about kind of elevating women's voices and changing the narrative for us. But I wasn't also, I re, I didn't realize that I was also being sucked into this, Um, echo chamber where feminism became a little bit obsessed with victimhood Mm -hmm. and the rhetoric became more focused on what women can't do versus Mm -hmm. what they can do. And so that ultimately was something I internalized and was, and had a big effect on my own self perspective and self, um, you know, image. And Mm so with, with the book, I wrote it also for myself is to constantly remind myself that we have choices and that we should be empowered to make those choices and focus on the things that we can control Mm -hmm. and what we can do differently for ourselves, as opposed to waiting for what society should be doing for us. So really giving the women the tools to change faster than what society could ever change for us. So, and that's something that I want to remind every woman out there is that you can change and control the narrative of your own story.
0: Yeah. I love that. And, and I feel like just the reminder, like for anyone who's reading your book, like you're allowed to change any time you're mm-hmm. allowed to become who you are right now. And I love asking friends, like, how would you describe who I truly am? And there's a few people I would say, you know, that can really give an exact example. I was with my best friend, Nicole, yesterday, who I talk about all the time. She's a therapist, Nicole, now provide, we went out yesterday and I was saying, let's go to the beach. It's 90 degrees. Like let's go. And she's like, that's such a big part of who you are that people don't realize is like grabbing a lawn chair and like an iced tea and sitting your ass in there tanning. For so long. in tanning. <laughs> and I just love taking in the sun and reflecting and being creative in, in the quiet. And, you know, how many times have you asked me to go to the gym and I'm like, meh. I'm, I'd yeah. rather sit there and be sedentary and think, not that that's like a good model, but no, but that's great too. Cause a lot yeah. of people have to,
1: I have trouble doing that. I, I'm, my brain will not sit still yeah. during that time. And I'll be like, wait, should I be doing something? And I would like pull my phone and go on emails. And like, that's my flaw. That's my toxic trait is that I don't know how to sit still and be present. But That's great. Yeah. You're able to do that
0: yeah, I just need to get my ass to the gym at some point with you. But like point being that, you know, every strength is a weakness, but it's, it's actually like when I'm really honest about who I am in the world, I look like someone who's doing a ton of stuff, but in my soul, I'm actually someone who the only reason I do so much stuff, um, is because I want to be able to be, um, mm-hmm. I earn my leisure. And not only that I do things that I love to do. So that when I'm in leisure, I'm, you know, enjoying my life and I'm enjoying my leisure. Um, And it's interesting because when I think about, um, so many people, it's like, there's so many different identities that they have. So anyone listening, it's like, why not ask a good friend, somebody who you feel really gets you who, how would they describe you as a person truly? Yeah. Um, and check in with yourself. Like, are you realizing that's who you are? And even with your career, like, do you like what you're doing? Are you using your skills Um, Mm -hmm. where are you lying to yourself and telling yourself that this is a good thing for you or that it's getting you somewhere because that's a pattern of thinking that you're doing this to get there, doing this to get there. That's why celebrities like Britney Spears shave their head off because by the time they get there whatever that is, they don't feel good. And life is how you feel goals. You set goals to feel a certain way. So, um, when people skip that step
1: yeah in with yourself i think and i read somewhere my favorite quote is the most important conversations you have in your life are the ones you have with yourself yeah and i think that's probably the majority of the of the population avoids exactly those type of conversations they would have the best conversation with other people they would ask all the questions about other people they would be invested in other people's lives more than they're invested in their own self-work and getting to know Who they truly are and checking in and asking those questions and not only asking yourself those questions but like you said being honest about the answers and then once you have those answers being very proactive about the changes and the actions you need to take in
0: order to take control over the life you want to build do you want to get hired into a top tech company or are you looking for interview prep help Chances are, if you're anything like I used to be, your interview skills might be what's holding you back. And when you realize that only one out of every five job seekers who interview for a job get the job, you want to make sure your resume and your interview really stands out. This is why I want to share that this week's episode of the U-Turn podcast is sponsored in part by our friends over at Caris.io. It's a coaching platform to help you ace your interview and get the job offer you've been looking for. And the team at Carus.io, it's C-A-R-R-U-S.io, is full of interview coaches from Amazon, Facebook, Google, Tesla, Spotify, Apple, and more who have helped hundreds of people land jobs at top tech companies, whether you're interviewing for entry level, mid-level, or a senior role. Their process is incredibly effective. It takes only three to four hours of focused interview prep in order for you to see big results and double your chances of getting hired. So head on over to carus.io and book your first session with a tech hiring manager for free. Again, that's carru dot I-O and your first call is free. Now let's get back to this week's episode. I know that you were literally... Studying the sciences, like you got your degree in biochemistry and molecular biology, which is like such a trip to me. Like, yeah, I look like, like I would, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't really look like I worked at the Pentagon either. Like, we're just a couple of weirdos together, and I love it. And then we're i you doing deceiving
1: the, the... the world,
0: you know, yeah. imposters. <laughs> I know, and also like, but you know, getting your master's in bioengineering um, and working in cancer research, so. Obviously you're someone who likes data and I know you have a lot of that in the glass ledge book. What is some data that really stuck with you, um, or kind of guides you to keep doing the work that you do or, or things that you would want us to know either data just to help raise awareness or data that can maybe help us change something about ourselves or do things differently now that we know it.
1: Yeah. Well, I think for me, the data was really focused on, um, you know, the state of women in the workplace. And I think it only got worse probably during and after the pandemic. Um, And I was always really the data that drove me to do what I do today, which is really try to be part of the change and not only for myself, but eventually a collective change. Um, And so, and then a few things, um, like 17% of women are in C-level positions, which is crazy. That's a very low number being in 20, like around, you know, the, cent, the 21st century um at 2021 it was 21 percent so from 2015 to 21 to 2021 it went from 17 percent to 21 percent which is not a big jump mm-hmm. um especially that we have been in the midst of the women's movement in the midst of the me too movement the time's up and we still really didn't see that much change um to me, that's very discouraging. Um, and of course, we all know the data around the pay gap. Um, mm-hmm. So women in the U.S. are paid 82 cents for every dollar paid to men, an annual gender wage gap of $10,000 around that. Um, and then women are starting high growth businesses more than ever before, but receiving only 2.8 percent of venture capitalist investments. This one for me is very, very hurtful because I'm one of them women that have been out there really um, challenging the status quo when it comes to raising funding for up-and-coming startups that are led by women. It's a very low number compared to how much women are starting, how many women are starting businesses on a yearly basis. Um, And then, of course, I think something that for me is very important being that I'm the founder of a self-publishing platform is that across all media platforms, men receive 63% of bylines and credits even when it comes to talking about women's issues, mm-hmm. while women received only 37%. So again, now you're looking at the disparity between given platforms to elevate men's voices versus women's voices, even when it comes to issues pertaining to us. Um, and that's still a very you know, discouraging number to look at, um, seeing how much we need to speak up more. So when I look at these kind of data or statistics, obviously the initial instinct is that we as a society need to do better. There needs to be change out there. And you kind of put it in the hands of like the outside world, right? The external world. But I started to kind of practice in this different perspective is instead of things should be different, I'm asking myself and I'm prompting other women to ask themselves, what can I do differently? So when you look at data or things or circumstances that are not, you know, making you happy, that are not really what you're looking for, instead of asking yourself, oh, things should be different, what should other people do and what should society do to change? We need to be better at asking ourselves, how can I be part of that change right now? What are some of the things that I can do for myself to be part of the change Um, and maybe increase those numbers eventually? And I think once it starts with an individual changes, that's how you achieve collective change. You know, you can't wait for other people to do the work. And then you kind of sit on the sideline and be like, well, I'll wait for things to change for me. And then, then I'll be happy, or then I'll have what I want, or I'll have what I need. Um, so that's kind of like how I approach every problem moving forward now is being able to objectively evaluate the circumstances without sinking too deep in the victimhood and blame mindset.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's so interesting just having worked in careers and having courses in that is like the salary conversation, like the discrepancy in the dollars that women are paid versus men is very real. And there is also something around our, um, I don't want to know if it's, I, I don't know science enough to say it's our biology, but men are asking for more aggressive salaries than women are. So in a way, despite the social reality that there is a discrepancy and that that can be at the corporate level, women are not asking as aggressively as men and that's a self-esteem issue. So, you know, and, and why is it that when we look at the data, more more women will not apply for jobs that they don't think they're qualified for and men will apply anyway. So there's a lot we can do in our own hands. Also supporting women. I see in the workplace, there's a lot of like queen bee syndrome. Like I'm the power woman here that certainly existed at the Pentagon when there was, um, you know, a woman there that I was really excited to be around another woman. I felt a sense of safety and and she kind of did have that queen bee, like she needs to be ahead of me. She needs to be more looped in than me. Um, so what would you, what would be um, some ways that you think um, women can kind of work on their mindset or what are some things you realize while reading the glass ledge or questions you ask yourself that people listening right now could ask themselves?
1: Yeah. I think one of the, the biggest question um, and exercise, and I start the book with the chapter about power, because I feel like you can't really solve every other thing until you you figure out what is your relationship with power? I think as women, we've always had this kind of ambiguous relationship with power. We want it, but then we're afraid of it. But then we sometimes associate it with negative feelings. um, And then we associate it with kind of like dictators and, you know, men at the top. I think it's time for us to have individual conversations with ourselves around what does power mean to me? Um, And one of the exercises I like and I do for myself sometimes, especially when I feel hopeless or powerless, um, is basically visualizing my own power. Um, and I like to visualize a specific, um, you know, either circumstance or, uh, an event that took place that I felt at my highest power that I nailed it, that, um, I really like walked in there and felt like I just exuded, but also felt that the power in, in, inside of me was just very obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I recall kind of the details of that specific scenario. And then I asked myself, well, what was the situation? Why did I feel powerful? For instance, did you think you were at the top of your game, right? Uh, were you in control? Did you have clarity about what you were pitching maybe at a meeting or did you just have confidence in the idea you were presenting? What, what was it that really made you or fueled that power inside of you? And what did the power feel like? You know, because I think it's very important for us to understand when we're having power and when we feel powerful, what does it feel like physically? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, was your heart beating quickly? Were you smiling from ear to ear? Were you calm and still? How does power manifest for you, physically speaking and mentally speaking? And again, what were what top emotions were in your mind? Um, Did you feel competence? Were you excited? Did you feel confident? Did you feel unstoppable? Recall to yourself and journal this down. What was that situation like? And be very specific about how you felt physically, mentally, emotionally, emotionally why that power was so obvious to you and maybe the people around you. And I think once you have a clearer idea on that, on how power shows up for you, you can channel that in every other situation moving forward. And it's something that's very subtle, but I have exercised this. And I remember like a, a specific moment for me feeling powerful is when I finally landed my very first investment and pitched an investor and they were completely blown away by how I showed up and, and the idea and the way I presented it. And I now every time I go into a meeting, whether it's just with my team all the way to with high profile people um, in my career, I always channel that moment because I know exactly how now, because I journaled it, I felt it over and over again, and I
0: sort of visualizing it every time before I go into a meeting. I love that. And, you know, visualization, there's so much research to prove the power of it. And when I was at the Hoffman process, I spent about 15 to 20 hours that week visualizing and facilitated visualization. And so it's so good to kind of like, if you have something you're nervous about, that's why athletes do it. And it affects their performance is just visualize what it would look like if your best version of you, your most empowered version of you. And even ask yourself, like you were saying, like, when was a time that you did feel powerful? And what was going on and why? And what were the beliefs you had? really awesome. Um, is there anything I haven't asked you about the glass ledge or self-esteem or anything that you want to share with everyone before we go? And, and can you tell everybody where to get their book?
1: Yeah. Um, no, I think another, another chapter that I just want to quickly, uh, bring up, cause I feel like this is not, and you, you talk about beauty queen all the time. So I feel like it's perfect. Um, but I think appearance, right. And presentation, I know oh. I, some point in my career, because of my past as a, a beauty queen, quote unquote, or in the pageant world, I felt almost very guilty and insecure when I showed up all dolled up and glamoured because I feel like people would judge me for even putting makeup on and wanting to look good because they would associate me with, quote unquote, how they used to say, a bimbo, like just a beauty queen with a PowerPoint and a dream was some, someone literally referred to me as that. And I just want to reiterate how important it is to take your appearance seriously because I was a victim of basically letting myself go because I felt like people won't take me seriously if i if I showed up all dulled up. But it had taken a huge toll on my confidence because I think just as we think about our brand, right and write our resume, our career, we build we build our communication up, we build a strategy for for our career. But then in the same way we do that, we have to also talk about our visual brand identity. We're all brands these days. We all have social media. We all have platforms that we use to put our message out there. And it's important to continually ask yourself, am I showing up as the leader, or as the person I hope to become or I want to become? Um, and that also appearance is a big factor in it. And you should, especially women, shouldn't shy away from being who they truly are Physically speaking, if it's long hair grade, if it's short hair grade, like whatever that might be, it's not about beauty standards, but it's just about putting in the effort into building your visual brand identity, the same way you build your career, your resume, your strategy for applying for jobs, your communication strategy, all that. And I think at this point, looking good is really economic survival. It's not just for vanity anymore. Um, and I think it's important that women keep that in mind and not feel guilty for wanting to be like, to feel good and look good at the same time.
0: Mm, I love this. Okay. So a call to action, those of you order your copy of the glass ledge and also check on a woman today in your life that you think might need some support. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe make a calendar reminder on your iPhone once a month, just check on someone that's a woman in your life that could use some work or career support. We all need it. And it's that's how change happens one person at a time. It's a ripple effect. So Absolutely. thank you again for being here. You yeah. are literally everything. Thank you. And the book
1: is available all on Amazon and every other bookstore that you can think of. So,
0: And where can everybody follow you on social or website? Can you tell us that too?
1: Yeah. So the book website is going to be up this week. It's called theglassledge.com. Um, and then for me, my social channels are all at ImanUbu, I M A N. OU-B-O-U. Pretty simple. And yeah, you can email me, message me. I'm very responsive and I like to, you know, specifically give advice to people's personal situations. So please feel free to reach out anytime you want.
0: Yeah. And if she's slow on her DMs, it's because I've sent too many troll
1: messages.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Too many reactions on my
1: stories. (laughs) (laughs)